Today, I'm airing an interview with actor, director, teacher, and playwright E. Catherine Kerr. Catherine has had a glorious, interesting, compelling, successful career in theater, in all of the aspects of theater. But, ironically, she had no interest in, no curiosity about, and certainly no certainty that she would ever be in theater, never mind be on stage. Her story is charming, delightful, unexpected, as is Catherine. So, here is E. Catherine Kerr. Okay, so I'm here with E. Catherine Kerr, who is, I know, an actor and a teacher and have I left something out? A director. And a director. I'm explaining to Catherine that I interview people who make their living or their life with an art. And I know that you have made your life and your living with the art of acting mm-hmm. in all of its permutations. I only ask one question. Do you remember, can you tell me, the very first moment that being an actor occurred to you uh, my first two experiences on stage were so disastrous. When I, in the first grade, I was an angel. It was a tableau. It was supposed to be a picture. Yeah. So the teacher said, don't move. move. <laughs> so I held my breath. And when the curtain opened, <laughs> I faded. So that was my first appearance on stage. The second appearance on stage, I was actually corralled by a teacher in grade school when I was 12 to go to a community theater to fill in as a lady-in-waiting in Aladdin and the Wonderful Lamp, right? Now, the girl who was the lady-in-waiting got sick to her stomach and vomited, so <laughs> I couldn't wear her costume. So they took me to the theater, they put me in this, they found some clothes, a red satin dress that was way too long, so they butt, they pulled it up with safety pins, and then they covered all that with this navy beaded jacket that must have weighed 20 pounds. And I was given one line. Here, old foolish one is the lamp, take it and be gone. And that was when the magician was disguising himself as a beggar to get old lamps. And um, and the princess said to me, take this old lamp and get us a new one, right, by one line. Um, now, I was, t- they handed me this box with some uh, wire and nails on it was a pretend liar. So I was supposed to pretend to play this liar as I sat at the foot of the uh, princess's uh, lounge while the girls danced. And then when <clears throat> they left, I was to put the liar down, get up, and go off stage, right? Okay. Easy. Now, I strummed my lyre, the girls danced, they went off stage, I went to put it down, and all these nails and wires got caught in this beaded jacket. <laughs> and I couldn't get, get it, it loose <laughs> in time for the next scene, which was Aladdin, who came in for their love scene. Oh dear. Now, I'm telling the God's truth <laughs> when I say that poor, the poor kid who played Aladdin, just before he came on stage, had a nosebleed. And he comes in with a handkerchief pressed to his face and does not see me <laughs> below, sitting on the at the foot of them. So he stands on my dress, <laughs> and I can't get off stage. Of course not. <laughs> and I'm trying to yank the dress subtly. Of course, the audience sees all that. The right. laughter starts. Yes. You know, he doesn't know why everybody's laughing at their love scene. And <gasps> I'm humiliated. And then he goes off. Now the next moment. She is when the beggar's off stage screaming new lamps for old, new lamps for old. 
So I'm completely rattled, and I, I have this liar hanging on my beaded jacket, and I take the old lamp, and I go to the window, and I say, here, old foolish lamp. <laughs> and I just stop. And I've never had such a big laugh in an audience as that one, you know. Oh, bitch. And I just threw the lamp off and ran off stage, took off my clothes, and, and ran left. out of the theater. Yeah, 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 yeah. I said, and I on the walk home, I promised myself, I mean, firmly, I swore I would never, ever, <laughs> ever get on the stage as long as I lived. Right. So and how see, old were you? I was 12. Oh, dear. And that lasted 10 years until wow. I was in the oral interpretation. So it was kind of fun. It was, you know, standing up in front of people. We all read. It was, and I had a good time. And this professor came to me one day and said, I will give you an A in this class if you audition for Playboy of the Western World that's coming up. You'll give me an A if I just audition? I don't have to do anything other than that? And he said, yeah. I said, well, great. I, said, <laughs> I, I knew I wasn't going to get in, but I did. I got a small part, and actually it was fun. I had a good time. I didn't screw up my one line. Do and you know what it was? That she saw or he saw? He? I haven't a clue. I don't know. It's like the hand of God. It re- <laughs> you know? I, this is what I say. It proves to me yeah. that there is something beyond us that's guiding us and in my case has a great sense of humor. Yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> it's deus ex machina, right? This guy yeah, that comes <laughs> down and says you. That's right. right. That's right. So, you know, I literally fell into some plays and then somebody would ask me and, you know, i didn't so yeah you didn't mind it was fun it was yeah, okay it was fun it was okay so fast forward i go to uh indianapolis uh, manual high school i'm teaching english and the head of the department came to me and he said the woman who taught drama is retiring this year would you teach drama i said i've been in five plays what are you talking about i can't teach drama i don't know anything about it I, you know i never took an acting i don't know anything he said well you know it'd be better than what she teaches, she teaches some pictures in the book. I said, well, I'll tell you what. It would be fun. I'd rather teach drama than, than grammar. I decided to go to New York to drama school there for two years and learn something about acting and go Wait back. a minute. They ask you to teach drama. And, and I say I want to, but I don't know anything. So let me go study, and then I'll come back and teach. But and they say, fine, and then yes. meanwhile we won't have a drama teacher waiting for you he, to go. I don't know what he planned. But, but he, again, right, it is a little bizarre. Yeah, but he said, yeah. Okay, so where did you go to school? I enrolled in the American Academy. Save my money, I go stay in the YWCA in New York City. I go the next day, and the door is locked to the American Academy. I knock on the door, I look peek in, and there is a woman with a mop, and I bang <laughs> on the door, and... Uh, she comes to the door. She said, Helen Menken had a heart attack. School's closed. And so I kind of staggered away. There I was in New York City, not knowing a soul. Um, so I went into P.J. Clark's and sat there and had a Coke and thought, what am I going to do? And I remember somebody had mentioned the neighborhood playhouse. So I went and got a phone book, which many years ago, that's you what could, I had to right. do, and called them up. They said, we're enrolling today. Come on over. And I went over, and they accepted me into the Neighborhood Playhouse. That's how I ended up there. Okay, so now so, you're in the Neighborhood Playhouse. Now I'm in the Neighborhood Playhouse, and uh, I get through the first year. Then I thought, what am I going to do the summer between? And I saw a notice that there was 
uh, internships at the Festival of Two Worlds in Spoleto, Italy, mm. and auditions for it. I thought, well, that sounds like something that would be fun. So I signed up to audition. I went, and I thought it was going to be, you know, was it the some educational place? I thought there would be some lady there, you know. Oh, it turned out that Mildred Dunnick was there, oh Arthur Kennedy, um, Rod Steiger, a, a group of seven people that were so overwhelming. Yeah. I had one monologue prepared, but I had kind of not really invested myself in this audition. Yeah. So uh, they wanted a second one. So I made up one on the spot. <laughs> I was so scared. I there was a bench. I had to lie down. I was. I thought I was going to faint. <laughs> and and I raised my ha- hand and I said taxi. And I I don't know. I made up this monologue. And um, and then I stood and they said that was very interesting. What is that from? <laughs> and I went oh uh, that's from a play called um, Scattered Glass <laughs> by um, Paul Wadley. <laughs> <laughs> You're a natural actor, of course, right? You're an improv actor is what you are, right? That was an improv. And they all kind of went, oh, uh uh-huh, and looked at each other like, I'm not going to admit that. I don't know this play. play. Right, 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 right. So they got, I got, and then they asked for a third thing. And I went, well, I know an E.E. Cummings poem. They said, fine. So the first line of that poem is, nobody loses all the time. I, I said, nobody loses all the time. And Mildred Dunning started to say something like, oh, no, 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 you're not losing. And then I went on with the poem. She realized that it, it was, was part, part of the, of the play. Poem. Right, right. Poem. And the look on her face, and I looked at her, I went, I'm in. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be there. Right. I'm gonna, I got this. Right. So I did, and I went there. And, um, and while I was there, they did, it, they did The Trojan Women, directed by this Greek director, Michael Kakoyanis. So I did it. It was a huge success. And they were going to do it at the Circle and Square off-Broadway. I thought, well, this will be a good experience. So You had no idea, no, really, what you were being asked to that's do. That's right. So right. I went in the play. I went in Trojan Women. It lasted two years. I went from non-equity chorus to equity chorus to leader of the chorus to playing Cassandra to eventually directing it. And so, but all the time, I'm thinking I'm going to go back, back to teach. To teach. So after it was over, it was like in between the year, I couldn't go back to teach. So I auditioned for something else, and I got it, and went to Good Speed Opera House to do What Every Woman Knows. And I was terrible in this play, because I didn't know how to do anything other than Trojan Women at that point. Right. That was it. So that's where Holland comes in. She came to see me. So after the show, I said, you know, Holland... It doesn't matter. So I stink. So what? I'm going back to Indiana to teach anyway. Right. And she looked at me and she said, no, you're not. You're a professional actress. This is what you're going to do. You're not going back to Indiana to teach. You're an actress. And I think that's one of the more terrifying moments I've ever experienced in my life. I burst into a full body sweat of terror. Yes. Because I knew she was right. But it terrified me. Well, you didn't know. So how, that's the right? moment that you ask. How right. did I? When did I know that I was an actress? That was the moment. I thought, oh my God, that's what I'm going to do with my life. That's insane. If you're me from Indiana with no connections, no nothing. Okay, so she tells you you're an actress. Right. You have the 
aha, epiphany, mm -hmm. this is the truth moment, mm -hmm. then what? Well, then I did what any other actress does. I auditioned, and I um, spent, I would say, the next six years doing repertory theater. Okay, and but you never went back to study. No, it's like, no, I was on my feet studying now. I was okay. on my feet learning, and um, which is really the best way, I think. I just actually loved it. I'm telling you that acting saved my life. Ah. It, it saved my soul. I was a very, very traumatized child. Theater for me was a safe place to feel. I could feel. Yes. And there would nobody would say, no, you can't. Or I'd actually get applauded. For <laughs> yes, you know, it's yes. like, I think it wasn't until, God, I was in my 30s when I ended up in New York. So what happens? Well, I did, a, I did some shows. I did No Place to Be Somebody on Broadway. But I think a big moment in my life was when I auditioned for Tommy Toon for the play Cloud Nine off-Broadway. Okay. At that point, I had formed a support group. We were all women who were trying to make a living in the theater, older, you know, tough. And um, How old I, were you? I think I was about 40. Oh, then. wow, no, you're no, not kidding. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, so, um, but I got in the play Cloud Nine, and opening night... Uh, at the opening night party, my idol was there, Mike Nichols. Oh, my. Oh, my God. You know, he's uh, he's the man that every actor I know wanted to work with. Mm -hmm. And me, too. It was my dream, but I knew it was never going to happen because right. I didn't have a name. I, I couldn't even get an audition with him. Yeah. But he was there. And um, at the party, uh, he kind of waved me over, and he said something so complimentary, I actually backed up and fell over a chair. <laughs> it was so humiliating, embarrassing, I just ran, you know, I just ran to the other side of the room. But it was, you know, a wonderful moment. And then, some weeks later, and I cannot tell you when, I got a phone call, and it was, hello, this is Colleen Murphy, I'm Mike Nichols' secretary. I went, oh! <laughs> okay. Uh, he said, um, Mike would like to know if you would do him a favor. Said, sure. <laughs> yeah, right. And she said, well, he's having a reading, just a small reading, no audience, a small reading of a film script that he's working on. And um, he wondered if you would help out with the reading. Meryl Streep will be there. She's reading her part. Share uh, and... Kurt Russell, and then you will do all the other women's roles. <laughs> yeah, right. And I, I just, I tried not to gasp, and I said, sure, sure. <laughs> yes, right. I'd be happy to do that yeah. and help Mike out. And so they sent me the script. It was all underlined in red. Oh, my God, I was so nervous. I can sleep almost through, and I don't have a sleep problem, but I could not sleep that night. I go to New York to this you know, a little studio, I go in, it's a small room, there's just a long, oblong table, um, rectangular table, and I go to get a cup of tea, and Meryl Streep comes in and grabs me, she says, I'm so terrified, I'm so terrified, <laughs> and so I said, are you kidding? I, you, I look, at, look at what I have to read, and, but I was grateful for her to yeah, express God bless her, her fear. Right? That, yeah, I mean, that was great. So the movie was Silkwood. 
Oh, my God. And uh, Nora Ephron and Alice Arlen was there, and the producer, and we sat at a table, and I think I had the first line, uh, female line, and I, Mike was sitting right where you are, kind of diagonally across from me at the table, and he laughed, and he laughed in such a warm, you know, just affirming way that I totally relaxed, had a great time at the reading. There wasn't a part for me in the film that was right. There wasn't, unfortunately. But at the end, both Alice and Nora said, oh my God, we should find a part for her. We should, there's, we've got a, so they actually rewrote a part for me to, from this young girl to an older person. And it wasn't a big rewrite. It was easy for them to do. And then I realized, actually, only recently, I, when I was thinking about that wonderful time that allowed me at my age, at 40, to get into a major film, yeah. um, I thought, you know, I wasn't doing Mike Nichols a favor. He was doing me Of course he was. He brought me in because I was nobody. Yeah. And the producers and the, uh, and the they would not have accepted his, you know, without seeing me. No. So that's how I got it set. No, and not only was he doing you a favor, but how generous yeah. to say, would you do me a favor? That's right. That's I the mean, way he oh was. Oh, my God. That's the way he was. I mean, he was my idol. Um, he was just, and he was such a generous man. I wrote a play. I'm also a playwright, and I don't think we added that. No, but, we didn't add okay, that. Yeah. I had a play produced off. Broadway at the second stage called wow. Juno's Swans. And then I had written this other play. It was called Intelligent Design, Misspelled, a comedy about God, three-character comedy. So uh, several years ago, I, just not long before Mike died, uh, I, uh, a friend of mine put together a reading for me at, at Manhattan Theater Club studio. Ed Asner played God. And I invited Mike yes. right at 7 o'clock. There he was at the door. And there was only one seat left in the audience. And it was right in the center, right in front. And sat there. And I was in the behind. And I, I, I think that's one of the great nights of my life, to see Mike Nichols laugh. And he laughed so hard at the play. And to make Mike Nichols laugh, I mean, there's nothing better than no. that. Oh. And then afterwards, he told me what a wonderful play it was. And he tried to help me, but... He died not too long after that. So, ah. so after Silkwood, mm -hmm. what happens? Well, then uh, I oddly uh, got just cast in uh, Suspect. And I think it was Cher, because Cher was in Silkwood and Cher was in Suspect. And they, for some reason, couldn't cast this wonderful part. I loved the part that I got. Um, I had talked to Jane Alexander, who said she turned it down. And I heard from agents that big actresses turned down the role that I played because they felt it was going to end up on the cutting room floor. Wow. And when, when the first day when I met the producer, I told him that story, and he said, oh, no, it's not. And if it was, uh, now it certainly <laughs> isn't going to, right? right? So we'll just, show them. Yeah, that's right. It did not end up. And Dennis Quaid was fabulous to work with. We had this one scene where he kissed me. It was only one take. But I was shocked because it was such a turn-on. I thought, oh, wait, this is a movie kiss. This is not supposed to be a yeah, right, right, That's right, right. right. But anyway, that was fun. And then I think my, uh, then I did, a, you know, some more films, smaller roles, um, a good role in a, in a film at the end of 1999, I think it was, called Songcatcher with Janet McTeer, 
and Aidan Quinn. That was a lovely mm. independent film. But I was fortunate, even though I had a very short career starting at age 40, gosh, um, when most actresses are ending their That's movie right. career, That's I right. started mine. That's and right. didn't have that many, but I, I managed to get into some really good films, mm-hmm. you know? And you had a real career. And I had That's a real not, career. I mean, we're not talking here about just, you know, in and out stuff. No, you really had a career. Yeah, That's I wonderful. had a career. I mean, much to my astonishment, I did. I was very lucky at having started so late. You were just lucky, period. I was lucky. You were just lucky, period. And again, it's that, the sense that there was... Um, the god of absurd yeah. who was <laughs> ruling my career, yeah. I mean, and how lucky I was to have uh, worked with Mike Nichols. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is that when Holland said, you're an actor... Oh, my God. And you had the in, intense shocking, frightened response, yeah. you didn't say no. No, because I knew it was the truth, it and that's what yeah. scared me. Well, but it isn't so much, I think, that. I think that you had the courage to do it. You didn't take the money and go back to Indiana. No. You know, you, you stayed the course. Well, it's because I knew I loved it. It yeah. was saving my life. It was really the only thing that was right for me. And then what happened was, you know, as the years went on, when I, <clears throat> the next great thing that happened was when Krista Rang wrote this part for me in Laughing Wild. Oh my. Oh my, indeed. I mean, that, that role was another big moment in my life, because it was like a 30 or 40 minute monologue alone on stage with a, with a chair. I mean, it was... Well, it and was, Chris Durang, really? Oh, I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah, I know. I mean, we are talking about the top of the, you know, the food chain here with Mike right. Nichols and Chris Durang. Yeah, when he, he sent this play to me and said, I had you in mind for this part. Wow. And I went, oh, right, wow. And it's the, that monologue alone is, I think, among the most brilliant written monologues in drama. And it's wonderful. And so... I don't I had, know it. Can you tell? Oh, my God. It's... The woman is completely nuts, which, on the one hand, you might say, oh, he wrote that with me. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> or that he wrote it with thinking that I had the capability of doing it. Of course. I mean, it's such a brilliant monologue. Um, yeah, I, I could even do that again. I mean, it, it's an ageless kind of part. I would do that again. Um, and I was nominated for a Drama Desk Award, wow. which was great, yeah. you know, and got a, you know, another... Uh, other. Uh, uh, awards for that and so that was a great moment but at that in that um, production the woman from Playwrights Horizons Theatre School came to me and said would you teach (laughs) which is hilarious yes because this is 25 years later somebody asked me to teach acting (laughs) and um, it just took you a long time to get around to it and I thought about it I thought you know what I think I finally I can I think I can (laughs) I think I can so I said yes and it was a and I said, yes, except I don't have any particular technique that I learned that I use. It's right. all been from my experience and what I've learned. She said, that's fine. You know, teach, just go in. So I went in to teach with an open mind, and I didn't go and read all the books that I wasn't using anyway. And, and that's how I developed the four principles, which I have written a book called The Four Principles and the Four Keys of Acting. Two books, actually. 
Um, and and it became very apparent to me that there were just four simple things if I could get a student to do that would that that would be it, and that is, what is their commitment? What does the character really need? You know, what is it they want and need? And to get in touch with that, and then to be present. The importance of being present and not acting. Mm -hmm. I learned that really. Now I learned it a lot in the eighteen years I'd been acting until I did Cloud Nine. But in Cloud Nine, uh, directed by Tommy Toon, who was kind of a protege of Mike Nichols, so Tommy was fabulous to work with. Loved that man. And um, there was a monologue that I had that was really touched me deeply. And I loved this monologue. And so, so did Tommy. And every time I would do it, he'd start, it was an odd play. You could kind of put anything anywhere. Uh, he kept moving it later and later in the play, and finally, to the, actually to the objection of Carol Churchill, the author, she went away to London for a weekend, and in that weekend, he put it right at the end of the play. It's not in the fi in the written version now, but it was in the off-Broadway version because it was so powerful, amazing, and powerful. So okay, so we open. It's brilliant. I'm moved by this monologue. I'm sitting on the stage. I can see the audience because of the light that spills over. And women would cry. They'd get their handkerchiefs out. Men would even reach into their coats and get a handkerchief for themselves. And they were just riveted by this monologue. And it was amazing because I would deliver it right to them, right? And I and it was wonderful. Then about. Six weeks after we opened, I'd been doing it eight times a week, something happened. I just kind of dried up on this monologue. It was like, eh, been there, done that. And I couldn't conjure up. I couldn't get all that. And I worked hard. I tried to, you know, kill my cats and dogs and yeah, try to right, you know, right. get into that, you know, right. painful space, like right. a painful place. But it wasn't working. And what was worse is I could see the audience. That it wasn't working. That's right. Right. And that they were losing interest. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were glancing at their watches. Oh, yeah, yeah. Looking oh, at their God. programs. Yeah. It was hideous. I thought, oh, my God, this play is a hit. We're going to run for two years. And I can't do this. That, you know, oh, and the. The reviews had mentioned this monologue. People had come up you to, to me. see you know, it. They had people they, coming yeah, to see it. Yeah, they see this monologue, and they'd come up to me afterwards and say, "I didn't get the play until your monologue." And I finally get. I mean, the pressure on this monologue built so, which is why I think I dried up on it. Right. I was. It was too much. So I, you know, for about a week, I'm. It's getting worse and worse, and I can't do anything about it. And the audience is going away, not you know, happy and. I thought I was going to have to quit. And then I got really the flu, really sick. And the understudy wasn't ready to go on. So I had to keep going on. So one night I went on, I'm, I'm, I, I had a temperature of about 104, 103, 104. I was, all, I was hallucinating. You know? <laughs> I mean, I was, it was like, I'm on stage? What are you, oh, this is nuts. And I got to the end of the play, and I got to that monologue, and I said, you know what? I don't give a poo right. about this monologue. All I want to do is go home and go to bed. I am so sick. I don't care. I'm not even going to try. And so I just said, "This is I'm sick. And I just said it from I'm sick. And there's the audience. Suddenly and they're from, crying. And from I'm not going to try. That's right. From and I, I was real. Yeah. It wasn't where I thought I was supposed to be. 
but I was real. Yes. And so they, and I thought, that's interesting. And I was still sick, and, and so the next night, the same thing and the same thing. And I thought about it, I said, wow, that was not at all where I thought I was supposed to be emotionally for that monologue. Let's try an experiment. Let's just be wherever you are, Catherine, and see what happens. Oh. And it was a brilliantly set up experiment, and I would just be where I was. Sometimes I was bored, sometimes I was, and one night I was really happy. I said, I can't start this monologue being happy. I said, Catherine, this is your experiment. <laughs> Come on. You started happy, crying, crying. The audience was, it was a fabulous because they didn't lie to me. No. They responded in a real way. You weren't lying to them. And I wasn't lying to them. I learned yeah. not I learned then and there I think that has served me more than anything, that lesson that it's okay to feel whatever I feel. Yeah, it's great. It's great. It reminds me of this anecdote which I'm sure you know, I think it's Alfred Lunt and Lynn Fontaine and they, they're doing something and he he asks her uh, he, he he asks her for tea, mm -hmm. and the audience breaks up. And every night he does this, and the audience doesn't laugh. And one day he says to her, "I don't get it. That night I said the thing about mm -hmm. the tea, and they broke up, and I can't they can't laugh anymore." And she said, "Well, yeah, because the first night you were asking for tea, and now you've been asking <laughs> for the laugh, <laughs> right?" Yeah. And it's it's the same yeah, story, the same right? That, and that is a lesson I. I in, in my book, I've written um, a little introduction about Simon Callow, who mm -hmm. said about being present. He said he learned it when he hit his head on a pipe just before <laughs> he went on stage, and he was so knocked out by the pipe that he, that could he couldn't act. He couldn't act. He had to just be there. Right. And so that's the major lesson that's really hard for actors to learn, young okay. actors. So I learned a simple question that I would ask my students. What sensation are you experiencing in your body right now? It's not what are you feeling. It's what sensation are you experiencing in your body right now? And I don't know how I came up with that question, but I, it came out of, I guess, my own experience. But that question has elicited the most wonderful acting things. Like um, one girl did a Shakespearean monologue. It was I, probably the most stock acting, worst acting, horrible acting I'd ever seen. I thought, oh, God, what am I going to do with her? And then I just said, okay, well, let's do it again. So <clears throat> just tell me, what sensation are you experiencing in your body right now? She said, I have a stomach ache. Mm -hmm. And I said, what does it feel like? She said, oh, it's actually on fire. It's burning. My stomach is really burning. I said, express that burning in your stomach. She blew us away. That monologue went from the worst acting to some of the best I'd ever seen. Wow. And it was out of that, that single experience that I labeled my two-day workshop the creative explosion. Lovely. Because if you're really present... Then you're really present. Then you're right? really present. <laughs> That's right. and, and, it's, and what comes out of that will surprise you. In my, in my workshop, I, you know, I take experienced actors, young actors, anybody, therapists, whatever, and they get up to act at the end of the two days. And one actress was very, very, very experienced. Um, it may have been Brett Summers or Pat Anglin, one of those, you know, really old, older, experienced actress. And she says, okay. And I said, okay, so what are you feeling in your body? She says, I'm feeling really sad, which is all wrong for this monologue. I said, we're experimenting here. She said, I feel really, I said, let yourself feel sad. Let, let it just really be there. 
So she actually started weeping. I said, start from that. That was the funniest monologue I have ever heard. It was hilarious. It was all about a breakup with her boyfriend. Her tears were so over the top. And we were all laughing. We were falling on the floor laughing. You know, there's, there's actually, it occurs to me, another story about Bert Lahr. Uh-huh. And he's doing this thing. And the, it's a rehearsal. And whoever's in the audience is, is hysterical. And he stands up and he says... Why are you laughing? This is serious. <laughs> you know? right. Okay, so there's um, commitment to the character and being, being present. present. And that's the big one that we work on in class. To really, it, it, It's hard for actors to trust that where they are is fine. But they see it when they see it work, that helps yeah. reinforce that. That's why it's great to do it in class. They go, oh, wow, that really worked. And then, then they begin to trust themselves. So they take okay, the so, risk. Yeah, they take And it's a risk to just be where you are instead of, like, trying to nail it and control it and all that. Actually, I want to say... Um, I think that this is a lesson for human beings. It is. You know. And this is what my workshop actually right. came about after when uh, when after a couple months when I was teaching the students would come to me and say, "You know, these principles are affecting my life yes. as well as my acting." Yeah, because as I I'm, I mean I'm, this is self-evident, but they come to the work with whatever it is they've been doing in their life. And most of the people, most people are not present. Mm -hmm. They're not themselves. That's right. That's they right. can't that's risk right. it. Right. No, so, yeah, right. So, so it's a lot to ask. Yeah. It, it, and I'm really, really the hardest thing in the world yes. is to be present. Yeah. Oh, my God. If you're present, you're going to experience terror. You're going to experience rage. You're going to experience intense grief. You're going to experience, you know, incredible happiness. You, to be really alive... You have to be. You have to have that palette of all those emotions, all those sensations, all that stuff. That's the bravery yes. of being an actor. Yeah, but of course, to do that in real life is to be vulnerable. That's right. Right. That's right. And it's a rarity, I believe. It's a rarity because you know we're all trying to protect ourselves, of course, because yes. they're. We've learned that it's it, it takes right. a lot of courage to be the one to say, "Okay, I'm vulnerable. I'm open." Right. How about you? Yeah. You know. Well, and essentially, e either and or, I trust you not to hurt me, or if you are hurtful, I can protect myself. That's right. Right. That's right. That's right. Right. Um, so the creative explosion workshop came out of that. A desire on my part to help people apply these principles to their life, right. to their living, so they could get into their career and not be destroyed by all the slings and arrows of that outrageous fortune. <laughs> Great. Okay, so that's principle two. That's principle two. The third principle yeah. is relaxation. Uh -huh. <laughs> exactly. And uh, like John Gielgud said, now all these principles are 100% important. A, a, an actor will point to any of them and say that's the important one, but I say they're all important. Okay. So relaxation, so being present is all about being your body. Relaxation, I, the bottom line of relaxation is acceptance of where you are. That's the bottom line. If you can accept that you're terrified, right. if you can accept that fire in your belly, if you can accept you're sad right. and start from that and not fight it, then that's relaxation. Wow. You know, mm -hmm. you can be terrified, and as long as you accept it, it's okay. I remember um, an interview show with Oprah Winfrey and Tiger Woods some years ago. 
And she said, God, you just are so relaxed on, you know, when you play God. He said, oh, yeah, but you have no idea what's going on inside. <laughs> but it's that he accepts right. whatever. That bottom line of relaxation is acceptance. I would say the ultimate of relaxation is faith and trust. If you have faith that it's all going to work out, then you'll feel excited. If you think it's not going to work out, you're going to be afraid. So it's Yeah, and the other thing about that is kind of what I said before, which is, if it doesn't work out, it's really okay. Also, right. do, do you know that you get. But well, that's no trusting that it's okay. Right. That's right. That's, that's right. That's right. That's right. You know, so, that's right. So that's you know, the relaxation all comes from the mind. Yes. I'm not talking about relaxation of the body. I start with the workshop in just accepting where you are. Can you accept that you're sad? Can you accept that you're afraid? Can you accept that you know your stomach hurts, that your your back aches, that you're exhausted? Right. You know, actually, exhaustion is kind of a great a place. good one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's right. a good place to start acting mm -hmm. from. Yeah, because underneath that is a lot of emotion. If you don't fight exhaustion, just surrender, let it go. Like my being sick, mm -hmm. that That's that right. forced me to stop right. trying. You know, right, acting. Right, right, okay. Right. So commitment, being present, relaxation, and the last one is what I call the failsafe, the one that will open your chute when you don't have the other three, communication. Ah, uh, yes, with you the just, other. Just look in somebody's eye and communicate. Right. You know? And and that's those if I could get actors to do those four, well that was it. Now yeah. we're we're cooking, you know. <laughs> okay, all right. So you're teaching. Mm-hmm. So um and now doing workshops, my two day workshops, mm -hmm. which I have to say, while acting saved my life, doing teaching and workshops is my greatest joy. Wow. When I see somebody break through, oh my heart, I can't tell you how happy that makes me to see somebody find themselves and open up and have a great time and express themselves in ways that they never have ever before. Oh, man, that is just a joy to me. It's inexpressible. Yeah, it's giving, it's giving the gift, right? That's right. But it's also a gift to me. That's it what I mean. It makes me happy. Yeah. So it I, makes me happy. Right. That's my gift. I yeah, get to right, be happy. Right, 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 right. I got it. Okay, all right. So you were doing all this in New York. Yep, all in Connecticut. Ah, so you, so you moved to Connecticut. I moved to Connecticut because I'm not a city girl at all, and I found two dogs. And as I said, I'm a dog slave, so I bought the house for them. And my husband at the time went along with it. So, you know, I had this house in Connecticut for 35 years. Wow. So it's been hard coming to Sarasota and letting that go because it was a sanctuary. It's where I did workshops. It's where I taught some acting classes. It's where I've had so much love and so much breakthrough myself, so much growth myself, so much growth of other people. Oof, it's so been hard. What brought you here? Well, uh, A, I, can, I just could not do winters again. Yeah, I hear that. Uh, the house was getting a little bit too much for me to handle. Uh, and my career in New York City was kind of over. I wasn't going to act there. I didn't want to do eight shows a week there. So I, came, I started exploring my warm spot, you know, and I went everywhere, and I didn't. I went to Mexico. I went to you know all over Florida, and I came to Sarasota in a week. I went, oh, this is it. This is my place. Now I didn't know one person. I had you know, unfortunately, most of my family is dead, 
I have one great niece. My sister's gone. My nephew died this summer. Niece is dead, and they were all smokers. Gone. I have started a page on on Facebook called "Unfriend Your Cigarette" because it's a devil. It's awful smoking. Um, June Havoc is the one that got me to quit smoking. She had a company in in New Orleans that I was in, and I was smoking at the time, and she um, hounded me because Gypsy Rose Lee was a smoker and died that very time that we were together. She gave me a, an ashtray that was shaped like a skull. She just kept saying, she said, darling, your body is your temple. You've got to stop that smoking right away. She, she had that kind of voice. So I did. I mean, she saved my life. Yes, I think she I'm did. alive today because yes, she, she stopped me smoking. Um, it's been a very hard adjustment to let go of my fa my family, my friends. Your theater family. My theater family, my friends. You know, I came here in a week and a half and I knew uh, I had no intention of buying anything because I had to sell my house in order to do it. But I ended up with this wonderful little place in Nokomis that I love. That's wonderful. It's right for me right now. But I really have to get back to the creative side of me. I have to teach. I have to, you know, figure out how I'm going to How long have you up. been here? Four months. Right. Four yeah. Months. And so, you know, I've had some many things to do just to get settled, you know, and still more things to do. Um, so, but I'm kind of feeling that mm, energy that says, now let's see how we're going to figure out how to do some teaching and how we're going to figure out how to do some workshops and do some directing because those are the things I want to do now. I mean, I loved acting. It was great, but I think it served its purpose for me. Yeah. Although, I mean, if a great part came along, I'm sure. Well, and who fun. knows the way your life goes, you don't know. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I'm leaving, leaving it up to the God of Ex absurd. Exactly, exactly. Mm. Even though you got started late, you have given a life to acting, to theater. So is there anything you haven't said that you might say about what that's like, what that feels like, what that means to you? Oh, my God. I, I just feel uh, very moved and blessed to think that that's the way my life went. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. You know, if I, I've often heard this. If you can do anything else, you mm -hmm. really should. Because it's hard. You know, you never know from one minute to the next if you're going to get a job or not. Um, it's, I didn't have children. Um, I never got pregnant for whatever reason. It was like, okay, the buck stops here, apparently. I don't think I, I could have done it. I wasn't, uh, just wouldn't have been right for me. Eight shows a week at night, you know, it it's it's a kind of strange life. You're traveling all over the place. You're, but I loved it. I I mean, acting on the stage, getting a chance to do. Oh my gosh, to do Blanche Dubois in New Orleans. <laughs> my goodness, you know what a great thing to do, and I got to do some great roles, and they're just they. They fed my soul. They taught me, you know. I was much like, really, I functioned better on stage than I did. <laughs> I'm trying to learn how to function better now. You know, I mean, um, but honestly, if you can do anything else, you probably should. And if you just can't, if you're the worst waitress in the world and you, you don't have any other skills, well, good luck. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a great place to stop. Thank you so much, <laughs> Catherine. Thank you. <laughs>